Hi, Andy. I cannot wait to have this conversation with you. I have been looking forward this to this since we set it up about a week or so ago. So welcome to the Sweet Empowerment Podcast. Oh, Kristen, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So much fun. <laughs> uh, just I'm going to say is right from the start, Andy and I share a birthday, which is yeah. absolutely crazy. And we- Us and Gandhi. Yes. <laughs> which we share also with Gandhi and Sting. Um, Andy and I met on the Wisdom Social Audio app, and then we've been communicating, and I was on her podcast recently, and we discovered that we had the same birthday, and we both went, of course we do. <laughs> yeah, right, October so it, Libras. October Libras. Okay, so I just want to start right from the beginning. It'd be a great dive in to just know a little bit about you. Like, how did you become a mindset and transformation coach? Like, what led up to that? Oh, well, that's, you know, it's such a... It's such an interesting story. So, you know, our lives, I believe that our lives are a, co are a complete whole. I don't necessarily believe in like a linear progression of this led to this led to this. But for the purposes of what event really, really sparked it, it was that I had been creating for myself a reality that I wasn't happy with for a really long time. And I was drinking pretty heavily. I was really unhappy with myself, with my body. And I was in a, a relationship that was really awful. And what ended up happening was in January of 2018, my ex-boyfriend uh, and I had an argument. I was visiting him. We were in a long distance relationship and uh, it, it culminated in him leaving me at the airport in the middle of the night without a flight home at like two o'clock in the morning. Wow. And I had like a, a moment in that, in that, um, in that time, like that I realized that everything that was happening in my life was a creation of mine. Like absolutely everything that I was responsible for every single bit of what my reality was. And, you know, without getting into too many details about it, I, I began to take responsibility for my entire life. And within the course of about six months, I, I changed everything. I mean, the year 2018, I quit smoking after 18 years. I ran my first full marathon at the end of that year, which was a was a huge deal. Um, and I, uh, I, you know, I lost over 50 pounds. I completely, I, I changed my my diet i got my nutrition in order i just started taking care of the fundamental pieces of my health and it wasn't for a couple more years after that that i i began to understand the way the mind and the stories and the the subconscious operate and it was through my experience with a few different coaches but one in particular that i started to understand that all of this was within my ability to shift and alter and change and as i started doing the work on myself and began to do the inner work i thought wow this is really transformative and powerful and i began to do it for others as well um when i felt myself in a position to be able to lead like when i when i felt that i was out of that that um the the trenches so to speak yes. and i felt like i was i was in a place where i i was really i had full ownership of my own experience i began to lead others and uh that was really the be the beginnings of of why i decided why i decided to get on the path i like that you i'm not sure how you worded it but you said you don't think life is linear or you do think life is linear I don't know. Time and, and space are kind of human constructs and yeah. it's not really a linear past, present, future, but rather just now, like we're just yes. here now. And, um, 
as I think about my life, I realize that every piece of it has fit into a cohesive whole, yes. including those times and the times before and times 20 years ago. And I used to just tell this story that I wasn't very successful or I didn't really know what I was doing. I was kind of wandering aimlessly. And it wasn't until really my mid thirties that I started to realize, oh, fuck, this all fits together. <laughs> Isn't this cool? Like this all kind of comes together. Yeah, I understand completely. I love that you brought that up to, though, because people will say, well, what led to this? Well, I had one particular thing that, you know, my listeners know that it was just like this Mac daddy wham, where I was like, oh my God, I have, I have nowhere else to go, but up. And so that's where my brain cracked open. My head cracked open. I surrendered. I opened, I was like, God help me. <laughs> I don't know what to do to get out of this. And it's, it appears like you did have kind of that moment too, where you were standing in the airport, like what the heck? And it, it always astounds me when people say that they had that moment where that, that thought came in that I created this. Yeah. And you know, I remember you and I talked about your experience on my podcast and what really happened that night in the airport was that I, you know, he kind of left me there at two o'clock in the morning. I didn't have a flight. I booked a flight on skip lagged, which I don't know if you're familiar with skip lagged, but basically it's a, it's a last minute flight that they, they sell cheap flights. And, and they also sell flights where you can get off at the layover, mm -hmm. you know, like you'll buy hidden, it'll show you hidden city trips. So I ended up getting a flight to, I believe it was Miami but with a layover at LaGuardia. I believe there was like two layovers and I was like the first layover. And, um, you know, I, I, that ticket wasn't issued until about 5 a.m. because it was through American Airlines, if I remember correctly. And they they take a couple of hours. And then by the time the airport had, wasn't even open at the time when he kind of left me there. And so by the time the airport opened and TSA arrived and I went through TSA and I had all these experiences and I was drinking all night and I was on the phone yelling and being a victim to my friends all night because I was still working in the service industry at that time. So a lot of my friends were still awake because they worked night jobs. Mm -hmm. It, was, it wasn't until about I was getting ready to board for that flight that I had secured for myself when a woman that was sitting across from me at the gate, and I must have looked like hammered shit, asked me, are you okay? Wow. And I just, I just said, yeah, I'm fine. And I screamed at her. Wow. And I was, I was mean. And I realized in that moment, I'm like, you know, I've been waiting for someone to come and save me this entire time. And here's somebody that's asking me if I'm okay and I'm abusive. And I, it was just enough to clear the mirror, like as a coach, you know, you know, to, to hold a mirror to somebody because you can't see your own crap. And I couldn't see it and I couldn't see it and I couldn't see it. And when I did that to that woman, I was like, fuck. And that was like, that was it. And I still get emotional when I think about it because I'm like, that was the moment when I realized I was responsible. Yeah. And, and, yeah. It's, powerful it's, stuff. It's it is so powerful. I mean, it's just, I can see the look on your face that people watching this on video will get that too. It's like that moment, same thing for me. I was just like, what? Like I just had entered another dimension because my pathway of thinking has been this way for so long. All of a sudden there was a different idea and there was a different epiphany or some type of awakening or perspective, however we want to word it. It was like, a, I saw it through a different lens. So my question to you is what, when you were all those things that you said that you didn't want to be anymore. Okay. When you, what would you say to somebody right now? Who's like, I don't like this about myself. I don't like that about myself. You know, I, I'm unhappy in relationships. Maybe they don't, they don't like their weight or maybe they are, 
you know, partaking in some type of substance too much or spending too much money or like, they're just kind of on this spiral and they don't like it, but they're just, they can't stop it. What would you say to mm. somebody who's, who's in that place, who's just sitting here right now going, I have so many things that I don't like, and I don't know what to do. Well, I think that the first thing to note is that when there's something that you don't like focusing on, it doesn't help. I mean, I mean, you're just going to get more of what, what you focus on. And that's just kind of the rules of our reticular activating system, our subconscious mind, quantum physics. I mean, we are generally humans are running toward or away from something. And I was very much an away from person. I had a job that I didn't like. And instead of focusing on the things I did like, what I did was I just focused on how much I hated my job every single day. It's kind of like, you know, oh, you don't have a lot of money in your bank account. Well, are you going to focus on things that you want to be doing to earn money? Or, or are you going to continue to focus on the number dwindling in your bank account? I mean, you're creating the next moment from the moment that you're in. Now, this seems kind of like a big concept, but when you're in that spiral, I think the first thing that's important to do is pause and, and to notice, I'm not thinking clearly, I'm in a spiral. And you can notice, you can notice the spiral. And there are techniques in neuro-linguistic programming that just have to deal with just noticing the feelings of the body and noticing how the body is feeling. And if you can just pause and you can just do um, any sort of, small activity to bring you back to present moment. Um, a lot of times focusing on a, a like a, a the fabric on your shirt. Can you focus on the details of that fabric? Can you just narrow your eyes to the point where you see the threads in the fabric and, 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 and just focus there? Can you just stop and close your eyes for two seconds and feel the ridges on your fingers and just do that for two seconds? Or can you, Feel the body and the and the circular, like if it's moving in a circle, because likely it is if you're in that spiral. Can you can you focus and take that feeling out of your body? And it's more advanced stuff. And, and turn it the other way. There are just anything to stop yourself in the yes. physical. In the physical. You're in the because the body is is doing this physical weird stuff. So if you can pause, pause, interrupt. Once you've paused. Now you can focus on channeling more positive or even just neutral emotions, like even just neutral. I'm not talking about like sometimes, you know, uh, somebody that was also um, on Wisdom, who you might know, Allison Sutter, she's been on my podcast. She talks about follow following your highest level of excitement. And what she says is that sometimes your highest level of excitement Sometimes like if you're despondent, it can mean just being really pissed off. Like what is the the way that we could just shift slightly? If you're in a hyper anxious, like going down the, the, the tubes, I hate everything phase, maybe just getting yourself level to the point where you don't hate everything is, is a win. Yeah. hundred percent. And I love this whole thing about getting presence. I call it practicing the pause. So when I was reading through your website, it's actually one of my questions here. Tell us about the pause. <laughs> and you said it because I call it the same thing, practicing the pause, because when I find myself reeling somehow, it's usually just in the brain. And then sometimes the body catches up where it, where my belt loop will get stuck on a door handle or I'll stub my toe or something where the universe is trying to go snap out of it, Kristen, stop, slow down. But when I can really start to recognize those feelings inside of my body, I'm like, oh my God, I'm spinning out. I remember one time many years ago, I was walking into my mom's house feeling this way. And I did exactly what you said. I said, where are your feet? And I listened to my feet crunching on the gravel driveway. And from the walk from my car to the door, 
there something had opened and I was no longer in that. So I became clear in that moment. But also mm -hmm. just a fun thing I want to share with you. This happened like two or three weeks ago. It was the weirdest thing, but kind of cool. Is same thing. I was spinning out about something. Nobody was home, which is rare in this house because my husband works at home with me and my daughter was at school. And not with me, we have different jobs, but I was like, just get presents, Kristen. You know how to do this, get present. So I was opening things. I was cooking something. I don't remember what. And it was, you know, those videos like on TikTok where they show someone preparing something and the sounds are really loud, like the thing rips. Yeah, the right yeah, the water. yeah, yeah. That's what it sounded like. And I'm doing this and the sounds were so magnified. Oh, wow. Just everyday sounds. And I thought, it was just like, uh, I'm trying to word this in real time because I've not said this out loud yet to anybody. It was like, this is, I'm so in my, my fog sometimes that I don't even hear this Yeah, it's right you, in front of me. And I don't even hear mm -hmm. things ripping open yep. because I'm in my fog. So when I got in that centered state, let me tell you something oddly, it, I felt like I was making a video. Like I loved every sound that was happening mm -hmm. and it was very fascinating. Yeah. I don't, are you an auditory person? Do you think you're you're more auditory than visual or equal or do you mean with learning? With learning or you know like what or senses are high? Just what? with uh any like I mean I think more so like just uh awareness learning. I mean like for example I'm so I'm primarily auditory. I don't watch the TV. Like there's a TV behind me. I, I listen to TV more than I watch TV. Mm, so yeah. I didn't know if like you have um. Any, do you lean one way or another? Uh, I don't think so. I know in school I was a doer. Like in order to learn something, I had to either rewrite it or like in science, I had to do the actual experiment. So the doing mm. things helps me. Like the kinesthetic. Learn. Yeah. But when I listen only, I can, I learn a lot through feeling. That's why it's very strange for me sometimes to put things into word and why my first book took three years because it was all these new concepts and they came as feelings first. So mm -hmm. I had to try to word them. So I do a lot of feeling like I'll feel things, but I also hear things that I try, you know, it's a very strange way. <laughs> I'm trying to figure myself out still, Andy. No, I really love this because I love the way that you're talking about ripping those things because that's, that's such a great example of, of practicing and just honing your awareness and presence because our brain it's just taking in so much data all the time. And we basically control what we've told it to pay attention to. And sometimes, and because I'm not a visual person and I'm talking about the fabric on the shirt and just looking so closely, mm -hmm. it's, it's something that my, that sense is not, that sense isn't even, like it, isn't keenly aware. Yeah. yeah. So to be able to kind of do something that you're, you're not dominant in or that you're not always in practice in is just making you bringing you back to that present moment. And it's, it's very, very powerful because we do kind of just block out um, all of this stuff. Yes. There's so much data and we just can't bring it all in. I, I will tell a very brief story. I don't remember where I heard it. It was, it might've even been someone that came into the, my, my old place of employment, but there was this, um somebody had like a, like a dot in their vision. And I think it was either from a surgery. I don't know if it was cataract surgery. I don't remember what the hell it was. But the doctor said to them, oh, don't worry. In a, in a couple of weeks, your, your brain will fill it, fill it in and you won't see it anymore. Wow. Crazy. And That's I, I fascinating. think, that, yeah, yeah. Isn't that nuts? <laughs> can't believe anything you see. Can't well, believe anything you hear. I, yeah. That's interesting. And also, 
recently one of our wisdom friends had posted on his social media about doing stuff with the less dominant side of your body and that I've been vacuuming with my left arm lately. And yeah. it takes, it takes so much more presence and, to do that because the other mm-hmm. side's all automatic, right? Which mm-hmm. is kind of a great segue into what you and I both talk a lot about is reprogramming the brain. So mm-hmm. I would like to dive into like how we get stuck in these, these paths, these automatic ways of being because of programming. And I loved what you said on your website about things solidifying by a certain age. And I would love you to share that with everybody and then how it is that we can start to train ourselves to do something differently. Well, I think that have you and I connected about how much I love Joe Dispenza? I think you like Joe Dispenza. Yeah, we're like, I think we did that (laughs) on your talk. I mean, Andy and I both absolutely love that man. I've been doing his morning, his meditations every morning at like 4.30, 5.30. I'm having the weirdest stuff happen. I can't even tell. I can tell you afterwards. He's a phenomenal human being. And I mean, I think that that was really the 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 person that the, like in my early I mean I I started really this journey um a few years ago and he was really my earliest introduction to the science of the brain like before that I was like I know that there's something going on but I'm not sure what and so I don't remember where I pulled this from I believe it was Joe Dispenza but a lot of people talk about your neural pathways solidifying I mean I'm trained in positive intelligence as well so it could have been through that but you know just by the time you're 25 really by the time you're 30, I mean, forget it. It's already, it's already started to happen. I mean, think about like a lot of people, for example, will be really astute in business, but maybe not so much in health. And it's like, well, which one did you start when you were in your twenties? Because that one's probably the one that you have a really easy time with. And the other one just probably isn't as easy, but it's the exact same science. I got to interrupt you right there because that was so fascinating to read. Cause that is so me and my husband. He is so trained in one way with his head and I'm like so relational and emotions and figuring shit out and researching human behavior. And he's like, why do you focus so much time over there? I'm like, why do you focus so much time over there? It was fascinating. I was like, that is so true. It is. And we, and I think that in the West, um, cause you know, I, I have a master's degree in sociology and I've been obsessed with Western society pretty much since I was about six years old. Cause I think the way that we do it is back ass words, um, over here, but we're just, you know, we're just, I think it's just so stupid, but we we're taught really that there's a supreme way of being like, yeah. there is one gold standard and you should find whoever has it and follow that person. And it's like, well, that's a load of shit. You are the gold standard. Like people in my, in my women's coaching community say that about themselves now. So one of my members actually said that about herself and now they've all, they've all adopted it. You know, in your, in your intuition. Now back to neural pathways, we begin to do a behavior um, or we begin to develop an ego program. Um, one of my mentors, Sean Smith, calls it arrested development. I don't know if he's the only person to call it that. I'm sure a lot of people do. And, it, and it's really about that time when you're about five or six years old where something happens, um, usually in your childhood, and you get the um, uh, communication from someone, usually a parent, that whatever you're doing is is not safe. Because, you know, we're, as human beings, we can't really care for ourselves like other species. Like a baby rhino can walk within a couple hours of being born. A human being is born and it's useless. If you let it sit, it'll die. I mean, so there's no way that we're going to allow the people that care for us in any way, psychologically, for us to be imperfect. It's just not going to happen. So we start telling stories that we're imperfect because the people that are our caretakers have to be held to perfection. They have to be the most perfect person in our reality. So we start to tell stories and we start to modify and adapt. 
adapt our behavior. And when we modify and adapt is where like things like you and I talked about on my, I'm sorry, on your podcast about people pleasing, my podcast, this is your podcast, (laughs) my podcast, about people pleasing, like these old programs, this isn't safe. And then we start, we just start acting a certain way. And then by the time you're 40, you just think, well, this is just the way it is. Mm -hmm. I have to do this. And not realizing, oh, it's not that I don't want to make a choice or I don't want to have agency or I don't want to. It's that the cells of my body are delivering a message to me. There's something different. You're doing something different and that's unsafe. And it's and, yeah. it, and it was communicated to you when you were five years old that that was unsafe. So we're going to give you anxiety until you stop. And that's like, that's how it is. And it's uh. You know, it's the pause. That's why the pause is so important because if you think about electricity, like going down a wire, I talk with my hands a lot because I'm I'm just in practice to do so. Electricity following a wire for those of us who are watching this on video, you know, it's going to just go if there's a split and it's going to go one way or the other, it's going to follow the way that it knows because like a muscle that's been reinforced. So the pause will hold us at that point before the split. And then we can decide, do I really want to follow that way? Or do I want to make the other choice? And I I have to say this, because every time I hear this, I'm so fucking grateful for that pause and the choice. Because I, like, you're just talking, I'm going, like, I want to get out of my chair. That's how much this excites me because it changed my life, right? I was like, I just went like, yeah. Because when I learned that I could pause, and think about it and feel about it and know that I didn't have to be on this automatic response or reaction mechanism and I could choose differently. To me, that's the ultimate freedom. I get to choose how I'm going to show up in life. I get to choose if I'm going to join the assholery that's coming towards me or if I get to be <laughs> or, the assholery <laughs> or, if, or, if, or if I get to be the sane one. Right. And at times I'm great at times I'm not so much, but knowing that I have that choice and when I've gotten knocked off, you know, for whatever reason, because I likely haven't been doing my own maintenance. When I get knocked off that, my first thing is, what do you want to do, Kristen? Who do you want to be, Kristen? Remember, pause, slow down. Slowing down is like my biggest thing. I learning to slow myself down. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about two things, because just in case people don't know what they are. What is the reticular activating system? And then I would like you to explain NLP. Mm, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, well, NLP is kind of huge. So, um, well, first of all, I'll talk about the reticular activating system, which is the part of the brain that filters out what data is important for you to pay attention to. And you're the one that tells it that. So for example, I actually have this over here and it has plastic silverware in it, but there is, this is the, it's our pleasure to our, we are happy to serve you New York city cup. All right. Well, this is, yeah, it's got plastic silverware. So, so if you're looking, watching the video, I don't know if this is going to be just audio only, but if you're watching the video, you'll see this cup. This is the New York city coffee cup. So New York City has had this coffee cup for like, I don't know, 50, 60 years, something like this. This is the famous New York City coffee cup. Well, 
I lived here since 2008 and never once did I see this coffee cup. Never, never, never once. Never noticed it, never realized that it was a thing. And then in 2020, I took my friend Josh to a place, a coffee place here in my neighborhood. I live in the East Village in Manhattan. And we went for coffee. And he said, oh, it's the New York City coffee cup. I've seen it on Law and Order. It's always on Law and Order, this New York City coffee cup. And I'm like, gee, that's funny. I've lived here a million years. I've never once seen the New York City coffee cup. I see this shit everywhere. If it there says, is one discarded, we are, we are happy, happy to, to serve, serve you. you. And it's blue. And, you know, it's interesting because this is actually a mug that I bought at a, at a, at a ceramics place. But there is, um, but it's just a paper cup. They sell them at all the carts. And I'd never noticed in years. And now if there's one lying on the street, I notice it. If there's one sitting on a table, I notice it. If there, you know, it's, I notice it everywhere. It, I notice it so much that I purchased this when I was walking by a gift shop one day because I was like, oh, reticular activating system. I can use this as a demo. So it's interesting that that's I picked awesome. it up. That's awesome. Yeah. That's why it's got plastic silverware in it. I don't actually ever drink out of this mug. Now, the that's the interesting thing is that your brain just doesn't have the capacity to pay attention to a bunch of things. So what you want to do is um, tell your brain what to pay attention to. So, for example, if you're not, you know, making money, for example, let's say you're not, um, you know, there was a, a I was going to use an example that I used uh, a couple of years ago where I wanted to make money off of my writing. Right. So and that's what I wanted to do because I'm a writer. And I don't make money traditionally off my writing. Like I don't get paid to write. Um, but but writing has brought me money in other ways. Well, in the year 2020, I just wrote 100 times a day. I will make money off my writing. <laughs> I just wrote it like over and over. Well, that trains your reticular activating system to pay attention. And all of a sudden, you'll be going through your life and you'll just start to see ways where whatever you told your brain to pay attention to It'll start paying attention in those areas. Um, but remember, we talked in the beginning of the podcast about toward or away from, you know, if you're an away from person, but you continue to uh, perseverate about the shit that you don't want to be around anymore, the things that you're unhappy with. I'm unhappy with my weight. I'm unhappy with my love life. I'm unhappy with my bank account. I'm unhappy with all these things. Well, guess what? Guess what? The reticular activating system is going to be like trying to pay attention to. Um, that kind of goes into neuro-linguistic programming. And, and neuro-linguistic programming is just about um, accessing the subconscious. And there are so many different ways that you could access the subconscious. And, um, you know, it's really, it's, it's really huge. And it's, it's a really huge area. But, but a lot of those, those things are just paying attention to the things that you're saying, your language, uh, the way that you're communicating with your subconscious mind. Your subconscious mind loves to answer questions and puzzles. So if you're saying things like, why am I so fat? Well, your mind's going to find an answer to that. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to go and it's going to try to find an answer. And this isn't just necessarily about like the idea of like toxic positivity, you know, like just be like so happy all the time, but really being mindful about the way that you're communicating with yourself. Um, and some deeper facets of it, you know, are, are also that things that we think and beliefs that we have are, are often inaccurate. Memories are often inaccurate. And there are some, um, techniques that are encompassed in that larger sphere that allow you to really go back and explore those memories and explore those things and understand them with, with expanded awareness. Yeah. Because I think that a lot of us, you know, make memories when we're seven and 
we believe them to be truth. And what happens is, well, you, they're not really truth. They're seen from a seven-year-old's perspective. And had you been a 40-year-old in that exact same memory, would you have created the memory in the way that you did? Like, would you, but if you had been a 40-year-old with all of the knowledge and understanding and awareness of what a 40-year-old knows, then maybe you would understand your mother a little bit better. Like my mother was 22 when she had me. Like I can't even, like, and my five-year-old self is looking at this 27-year-old, a 27-year-old and being like, God-like being. Yeah. You, you God. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. like they can, now here I am at 37 and I'm like, God, that poor soul, <laughs> you know, like, but that, but I've had to go back and, and, and really understand and get deep into the areas of my subconscious where there were different programs operating. And I think that yeah. through different NLP techniques, I've been able to do that. And now I help facilitate that with people that I work with. That's so awesome. So when you're talking about reticular activating system, that is basically what we bring into our awareness is what we will continue to see and what we will, we will experience, right? Mm -hmm. Like you yeah, said, yeah. you didn't have the cup. You didn't know anything about the cup. As soon as you heard about the cup, you're seeing the cup everywhere. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that what you're saying with that? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, And, you know, it's also like things like um, people who say, well, you know, I'm always late. Well, they typically are always late. And it's like, well, if you if the I am not only taps into the more spiritual like power of intention. So once you say I am, that's it. You're tapping into that, that larger. And this is a little yeah. bit more woo woo and a little less um, scientific. But quantum physics has my back in all cases. All um, cases. But in all cases, science is there in all I cases you know, it's, it's there, but you know, the, the universal power of intention, you know, the late great Wayne Dyer writing about the power of intention. You know, when you say I am, you are channeling that power of intention, but the reticular activating system in the human, in the most basic of human forms, if you say I'm always late, well, your reticular activating system is, is saying, okay, well, I'm, I'm always going late. to make you right. I'm going to make I'm, you I'm, right. I'm going to, yeah. Now I, I, Andy Scarantino am never late. I can count probably on one hand the amount of times that I've been late in the last maybe 20 years. And it's to the point where I have such a handle on the time that it's almost subconscious. And I actually kind of fuck myself. Like I get mad because I want in meditation to let go of time and space. Yet when it hits 25 minutes, my mind knows, all right, it's time. Like I'm not counting the seconds. I'm not counting the minutes, but my mind's like, okay, it's time. Girl. It's time. <laughs> like it knows. I, it is the weirdest thing. Cause I did hair for 30 years and I worked by a clock. I mean, cause mm -hmm. I was not going to be late for my clients because I hate waiting for appointments. So there's no way I was going to give people that experience. And I can lay down for a meditation knowing that I have to get up was when my daughter wasn't driving yet to go get her at school. And I'd go, I need to wake up at two. I'm telling you, I'll be in the like la la loopsy land meditation and blunk two o'clock. It's like my, my body knows Yeah, the subconscious, the subconscious has knows the subconscious knows. And that's the thing. So it's like, if you tell the reticular activating system, I'm always on time. Well, it's the brain is going to pay attention to minutes and seconds. It's going to have such a keen handle on the time. And I think mm -hmm. it's because I've been training that for 30 years. My mother's obsessed with the time. She's got clocks in every room, sometimes multiple clocks. Uh, when I was in high school, I worked at Burger King and you know, the drive through they're like, all right. You got this many minutes. You yeah, got to yeah. get it out. <laughs> you know, I'm like a teenager. So like now at 37, the time is trained into my, like, I can't get it out, but I've always been on time. So it's like everything. I've never missed a flight. 
you know, it's like, these are the sorts of things. I'm never late. And that's because my brain is just wired to pay attention to that. And that is, that is, that was my doing. It's, I'm not special. You know, it was my doing. Yeah. Yeah. So in this particular example, we're talking about a, something kind of external-ish, like not being late to a flight or not being late to a hair client or whatever. So what would you tell somebody that has something in their, their brain? Like, um, I'm not good enough in X, Y, Z. And like, that's, that's their running program. I'm not good. There's no way I could be a public speaker. I'm just not good enough. What would you well, tell well, them? Like how, what? Well, who, who, who told you that? <laughs> what if they told themselves that? Well, that's the, that's the idea though. Right. Like who told you that? Oh, I you know, see. like, you know, like who told you that? Like why, like, where'd you get that mad idea? Where did you get that idea? Like, I, I'm not really understanding or, or if you have the, like, if they say that they can't be a public speaker, well, okay. So let's look for evidence that you can, you know, and a lot of times, an, another thing about something like that is that usually there's deeper beliefs than that. So if people have an idea that they can't do something, um, I find, and I find that it's usually a fear and that fear is usually to do with one to three people mm. because, and I always talk about this a lot and, and, and that fear, cause I like to narrow down with clients, like where the fear really is because we make our decisions out of love or fear. So if we're saying that we can't do something, that's a limiting belief and it's usually based in fear. So that's the question that I would, would have about, about, and I would try to narrow down, well, okay, is this love or fear? Well, chances are it's fear because we're afraid. And if it's fear, okay, who are we afraid of here? And it's always one to three people. Because if you're thinking about like, I'm afraid to do a Facebook live. I'm afraid to speak in front of a, a room. I'm afraid to do all, all of this. Well, you're not, you know, nobody gives two fucks, flying fucks about what, um, you know, Jorge in Argentina thinks about our speech <laughs> you know like no one cares right like you know or i'm being like so like i was just about to say or boris over in russia you know like or john in alabama <laughs> like i'm just like well what sounds like a name for someone that lives in a place like that no one cares like no one cares we're thinking about aunt claire yeah oh what's my stepmother gonna think what's aunt claire gonna think what's my sister's husband gonna think who is it and then and, and like who is it really like who is it it's one to three people and then let's figure out about like the idea like all right well you got those one to three people that you're allegedly worried about and now it's like okay well actually it isn't those people at all it's just you it's just you and that those just happen to be people closest to you and they have the most um elongated understanding of who you are which is probably still dated because that's how we are and now you have to realize that you're you're still basing where you're at um you know merton says under the influence like under the influ you're under the influence of that and and yet it's still just you you know it's and, you. and who's to say that aunt mabel and johnny and Alab who's to say no i mean not johnny who's to say that those one to three people are right right because they're, yeah, they're they may have said something yucky at one point but that was filtered through your brain who says that they're correct and that's another thing that, you know, I think that like some people get this right away and some people don't. And I, and I would love it if everybody would just get this immediately 
And if everybody could just get this immediately, your life would be a lot easier. There are no other people. There, there are no other people. Other people and their ideas about you are based on their internal programmings, their ego programs that they developed at yep. a young age about themselves. And and people will, I mean, we have a lot of like, for example, here in the West, a lot of programming about like women and body image and things like that. And it's like, okay, well, what part do you hate the most about your body? Now tell me what part on another woman you look at. Because for me, I've got a great ass. I am a marathon runner. My ass is fantastic. And I never once look at another woman's butt. I'm an apple. Guess where my eyes go? I'm not even looking at that woman. I'm seeing myself. Yeah, exactly. I'm seeing myself. People will be like, well, she judges me for the way that I look or the way that I talk. Nah, she judges herself for the way that she, you know, like, and once you realize that no one else exists and everybody's opinion of you is based is is only their opinion of themselves reflected, you can just move forward with grace and ease, but it takes people a long time. It's very hard for us to look at other fully functioning bags of flesh in this world and see and realize that there are no other people. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really big one because when I started to learn about that some years ago, I was like, people are seeing me through their filter. Because I forgot what I was listening to the other day. It might've been a Dr. Joe thing. Somebody was like, oh no, it was Marianne Williamson. She was saying, like she said, someone's seeing you she goes no they're not seeing you <laughs> they're not seeing yeah. you they're, they're, they're seeing not them. like you know so we're thinking pe- these judgments coming at us are defining us and making us feel bad and when we can turn that around and understand that it's really their self-judgments projected outward that's freedom again yeah because I slowly went through that process 12 years ago where I first of all I did it with my own self I looked at the times I was judging and I was like, ah, this person. And I said, okay, where's where's that inside of you, Kristen? Mm-hmm. And this is where I say the healing work is not hard. It's just different because we're doing things completely different than we ever have before. And I started to look at my projections outward and I became more peaceful once I owned that I had that peace. It was my disowned place. It was my shadow that mm-hmm. needed attention. And once I cleaned up my inner world, my judgments of others basically fell away. Yeah. I just started to see them like through this completely neutral lens. Like it had nothing to do with anything. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's fascinating and and freeing. And and when you become non-reactive and and, you know, the first thing that happens is when somebody triggers me, I'm like, all right, I have to look at it. And when I have to look at it, I mean, they're not even a part of that. Like they're not even a part of, uh, of it. Like it, it has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with me. And no matter what, I can just, I can just turn this around and I can go, Hey, let's go inward and let's see what's really happening um, in this particular instance. And let's like go where, into, let's go into triggers real quick about what they are and what you're saying. So that makes sense to people that are listening because triggers are huge. It's a big thing. It is like how things are being revealed to us. And what you were saying is so freaking paramount in this process. So would you like to share what triggers are? And then, continue. sure, yeah. So a trigger is basically an unresolved issue. And in spiritual psychology, they say that an unresolved is- issue is anything that disturbs your peace. So if your peace is disrupted, if you feel um, like somebody grinds your gears or gets you riled up, pushes or you got your that button, con- people pushes your buttons, yeah. get a uh, constriction in your solar plexus. I feel angry and I don't know why. 
that is an unresolved issue that has to do with you. It doesn't matter if the person has directly done. Now, if the person comes up and slaps you across the face, I mean, let's not be ridiculous here. Um, we're not going to try to find the exceptions to the rule. Right. Let's just look at the rule. Um, if somebody does something and it gets you activated in any of those ways or using any of those phrases, that's a trigger. What that is, is something that's unresolved in you. Um, and I'll give a great example. I talked about this on my Instagram and I'm just going to talk about it because it's such a relevant example. I am, um, a marathon runner and this year, um, I did not run the Chicago marathon this year. It's one of my favorite races. I've run, I've run it twice and the Chicago marathon introduced a non-binary division this year. And so we now can register for the race as as female, male, or non-binary. Huge advancement in the sport of running because there's been a, a conversation about where do non-binary individuals fit in this sport because, of, you know, for, for all different factors. So this is a huge advancement in the sport of, of running. Um, I have many trans friends. I'm very, you know, I find... Um, I think trans people are are, are amazing in, in the idea that, I mean, it's just such a vulnerable, vulnerable life to lead where you have to go through such a public transition that is so, um, you know, uh, unaccepted in so many areas and not understood. There's a lot of hate. There's a high rate of suicide. I'm just very sympathetic. Um, having all that said, having all that said. Chicago Marathon posted about the, the the people who placed in the non-binary division this year. And there were many supportive comments, many. And all of the, like so many supportive comments and all of the comments had like one or two likes. And then there were a couple of negative comments. And those negative comments, the there were few, had like 20 likes, 18 more, likes more likes more more likes so comments. like yeah so there were more supportive comments with one or two likes but then there were a few negative comments with like 20 likes so wow. i was so this is going back to triggers let's remember we're talking about triggers despite that i was activated by this i was very activated i found it to be uh, i didn't like it so I wrote a nasty comment because I was triggered and I, and I shouldn't do that. And I, and I'm not going to shit on myself, but like, I, I'm, I actively do not do that. But this time the trigger won, and I left a nasty comment, like you cowardly bastards, like, you know, you're, you're, you're a fucking coward. Like I didn't write, you're a fucking coward, but I, I said, you know, you're shit, at least have the balls to let the world know you're a shit. Now here's the thing, Kristen. That trigger was not about running. It wasn't about trans people. It wasn't about anything like that. Right. Despite the fact that I'm an ally, despite the fact that I have enormous respect for people who are non-binary, identify as non-binary, besides the fact that like such a large percentage of my friends are LGBTQIA+, besides all of that, the trigger was about me and that I'm triggered by people who don't have the courage to use their voice. And that goes right back to my childhood when I was silenced, told to shut up, when I had to turn to the internet to express myself. Part of the reason why my throat chakra is so defined and why I speak so well and I speak so prolifically is because I was I was kept from speaking. That trigger, despite all of it, was about me. And if all of you that are listening look at your triggers, I mean, you'll find if you dig deep enough that it's not about anything other than something going on inside of you. It doesn't matter how sympathetic you are to what's going on. Like women's rights. I'm a woman. And it like, doesn't matter about 
how much of an asshole the other person is being. Like I've been Mm -hmm. in situations where someone is clearly wrong, but the fact that it, oh yeah, let's take, let's take a um, chapstick break because I've been dying to. Yeah, Yeah. here we go. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're on the video, you're watching us apply our chapstick. I have no problem with this. I'm like, oh, look. We'll show you guys. I got some Starburst going on today. I don't even know where this came from. So she got the Blistex. Okay, so um, no matter, because I'll tell you when I've had moments in my life where I've cleaned up whatever was there thus far and people could do whatever. And I was just like the calm observer. And then Mm -hmm. new triggers came in. That's another thought is I thought I was healed and done and finished. And yeah, that's not the case. But then later on in life, something else would come up and I don't care what the person was doing to me. It's the fact that I was like, ah, like I was like Mm -hmm. zero to 60 feeling like I was being attacked or whatever. When I learned that, when I respond that way, I'm actually adding to the chaos. And when I learned to, okay, this is my trigger. This is mine to heal. And I started working on that. I became a better demonstration of love in that relationship. And this person who was the initial attacker I call it the person who draws first blood, even though it's not physical blood, Mm -hmm. the person that does the first thing, they started to soften because I didn't add to the fray. And I want to add to that because that that's so relevant because I actually posted something after my incident on about the Chicago marathon, because I hardly ever like rarely, if ever write nasty comments on the internet. And I wrote that nasty comment and sure enough, the next day, there was a nasty comment on my latest Instagram reel. And I thought to myself, Mm -hmm. I bet this is in retaliation for what I wrote on that post. And I went back to that post and sure enough, that random handle responded to that comment. And I thought, well, here it is. All I have effectively done by being triggered is solidify the hate in these people's minds. Like these people are already hateful. They're already resentful of the non-binary division. They're already oppressing trans people. And my hate just solidified. Because you never come at someone with hate and they go, you know what? You're right. I'm an asshole. I'm going to change now. You know, so what you said about the path of love is so powerful in that in that. If you, if I had just been loving, if I had just led, and this is why I don't really argue about politics. They don't trigger me. And I just, I lead by example and I just live the path of love and people just kind of follow me and people soften in their regard. But, you know, when my triggers are speaking and my triggers are yelling, I just create more reactivity. Like the Dow number 30 talks about every force has a counter force. And, you know, that's very true. And it's very true that Every time you act with force rather than the path of love, the path of Tao, Brahman, whatever you want to say, God, you know, we end up just causing more reactivity. And so it's it's beneficial to you to pause, pause and, and examine the trigger so that you can lead with love and not with reaction. Yeah. And I really put that into play because like you and I are on the internet. And we're out there and we're putting ourselves out there. And sometimes people don't like what we have to say. And for the majority, I will say, I don't have that happen. But every once in a while, there'll be someone that'll say something that's kind of yucky. And I love reading that and then just sitting there and going, 
because initially it's like even slightly it's not that big at all if a 10 was like off the charts it's like a one I'd be like ooh, you know but then I sit with that and I think how can I respond to this with love or not at all because I'll feel myself inside and I'll say does this even warrant a response do I even need to comment on this or do I just you know say something whatever but I it's back to that pause again is, do I want to contribute to this? Like you were saying, do I want to contribute to the fear in the world or do I want to contribute to the love in the world? Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I really, really love that, but um, we're running out of time and I'm missing some questions here. I, yep. I wanted to talk about real quick about, um, God, there's so many things. What is our identity? Because you talk a lot about identity and and learning to heal that, change that, break that. What what is it? What is our identity, and what are we trying to do with it when we're in a place that we're not loving about our life? Well, I think that my work is I do a lot of identity work because a lot of well, let's let me start over. I call it identity work. It's really it's really just rewiring your programming. But I mean, when we talk about identity, I'm really talking about ego. And in terms of like, I noticed that when I wanted to change my life, the more something, like Mark Manson writes this in The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, the more something threatens your identity, the more you will avoid it. So maybe you don't like the fact that you drink until four o'clock in the morning anymore, but you have decided that that is what makes you tough. That is what makes you strong. That makes you all of the things that you've decided. And so for that, you feel a disconnect in wanting to get shit in order. And that's like something that I've faced a lot in my own transformation was renegotiating pieces of what I believed to be my identity. And I believed that that was who I was, but it was really just something that I made up. I just made up that identity so long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, another great example that I that I um, I see is with women that are like so heavily like uh, damaged by diet culture that they develop this identity uh, rallying with body positivity, which is totally fine, except that a lot of times they'll swing it back like every force has a counterforce and just become this ultimate rebellion. And then all of a sudden they're like, wow, I feel like shit. You know, I'm all of a sudden 100 pounds overweight and I feel like shit and I'm and I don't really like myself. But I said that I was this this activist for, you know, all of this stuff. And it's like. You know, and you, and you just have to, you have to come to terms with the fact that, hey, if your identity, I don't care if you're an activist or not, if your identity isn't serving you and you are running yourself into the ground because of it, maybe it's time to let that go. Like, it's okay to say, I changed my mind. Yeah. Like, it's okay to say, I changed my mind. Yeah. And I remember changing from being the barstool ornament that was hateful and angry and swore all the time and all this stuff. And, and I remember people coming at me with this, who are you? That was the question I got all the time. Who are you? And I was like, you know, I don't know, but I'm not doing that anymore because it doesn't serve me anymore. And never in a preachy way, just being able to say, you know, it's okay to change your mind. Yeah. Like it's okay. It's okay. Was I, you know, and, and that's, that's really what I'm talking about there. Well, we have to become our own best advocate. And if that means we need to change our mind, just like if we're parenting a child or taking care of a pet or something, we make adjustments to mm-hmm. to give them the right care. We need to make be willing to make those adjustments for ourselves as well. I feel like a lot of times people are afraid to make those adjustments because they're afraid they're going to be disliked or they're yeah. going to lose favor or they're going to lose whatever. But for me, my path has been, Kristen, and I don't mean this in a selfish way, I mean this in a very, very grounded way centered in self way. I need to look at me and what I need. 
always first, first, first. And what I've noticed for the people out there that, that might be afraid of this because of all the reasons we've listed, what happened was I got not only an opposite experience, but I got an even better experience. Mm-hmm. So it that whole perception shift dropped so much of things I wasn't enjoying in life and it called in. So even though there's that scary space from stepping over the void into mm-hmm. it, to get into the other thing, I call it the crossing the bridge. So if we've been on the bridge this long, you know, I, I picture like a big, um, like a like a clearing or a grassy area. And then we've been over here. We're headed towards the bridge. We're headed towards our healing. We're headed towards changing our perceptions and our beliefs and our things. We're crossing it. And it's very, that crossing over is very unsure. And we're like, yeah, the unknown, yuck, scary. I don't know what this is going to happen in my life, but we're still driving forward because we know there's something else. And when I first cross the bridge, I feel better, but I haven't walked long enough on that side yet to really let it sink in. But once yeah. I get over on the other side and I'm like, I, I do feel better. It still feels a little strange because it's not my conditioned pattern. It's not my automated thinking, right? It's not my autopilot. And once I start, I'm like, I feel better, 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 better. And that starts to solidify. And then I start to see all this other amazingness come at me. Did you have that same experience, Andy? I, d- I did. Yeah, absolutely. And I wasn't really, because I think that the bridge that you were talking about, and I kind of drew it as you were saying it, like when you're on the bridge and it's kind of wobbly and it's kind of, and you don't really get that expanded kind of view and you don't get to see like what the landscape is like, you know that you're not on the other side anymore. And you know that you're not there, like you're, you haven't traversed far enough. And it's just this, I know I'm in transition. And, and it's like that, that beginning, but you also know, you can't go, you're, you're not going back. Right. Right. You can't go back. You're like, well, I've come you can't go back. back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, I definitely have that experience and I relate to it. Absolutely. It's fascinating, isn't it? It's like, yeah. it's scary, but it's really exciting. It's scary, but it feels better. It's like this strange little thing. And sometimes I call it the messy middle where we're not quite where we want to be, but we're not here anymore. We're not quite here anymore. And there's this strange little area in the middle, but like you said, we don't want to go backwards. I use a a different analogy. I'm going to drop it in real quick. I use the airplane analogy. Like, okay, you're on the airplane. The door is closed. You cannot go back to the airport. You cannot go into the airport. Like you just can't. Like the FAA regulations say the door is closed. It cannot be reopened. You would have to throw a holy hell shit fit for them to let you off that airplane to get back in the airport. But you don't know where the plane's going and you don't get to know. It's going to take off. You're going to land. You're going to go there, but you don't get to know. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's. mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to ask you one last question. We'll start to close down is I would love for you to share with everybody. If they're like really relating to this and they're like, God, this sounds so good. And, and I'm, I'm loving what they're saying. Cause I get that a lot, but then people sometimes just don't know the very best first step. So what if someone says, man, I've been, I have been identifying with an identity I, I I have made myself into this person and I just don't want to be that person anymore. Or they know that they've got, you know, some programming happening and, and they're thinking these thoughts from their past that was embedded from somebody somewhere that told them they weren't enough or they were too much. What would you suggest is a good first step forward? Just the baby step. I always say micro steps forward. So it really depends on what it is. And when I say micro steps, I mean micro steps. 
micro steps. Yeah. Like when I was uh, getting my nutrition in order, that was not a micro step. Eliminating creamer in my coffee was a micro step. Yeah. Like that was a micro step. Like, and I think a lot of times, like people try for the overhaul. I, I'm not this anymore. It's like, fuck you. <laughs> like, no. It's like, okay, that's, I feel like it's, it's unsustainable. Not, don't, you know, people like send me these, these great long messages. And, you know, if you have a track record where you are able to do that, congratulations, you're Hercules. You can join me. <laughs> I mean, but even me, I know I can't do that. Like, give yourself some grace and micro, micro, micro steps. Uh, reach out for help. I love you can't that. see your own blind spots, reach out for help. Um, and another thing that I would say is just get extremely curious, like extremely curious about your experience. Like the way that I can say, cause I deal a lot with health and body. That's the area that I'm the most proficient in. Of course I have like just kind of a track record now of being able to make change just all throughout, like in all, in all areas. But that was really the first area. And what I realized was that I didn't know a lot. And a lot of people will say, well, I know, I know. Mm. Acknowledge that you don't know. Yeah. And get freaking curious. Because we were told, we were taught, I told you about my hate for Western society. We were taught in the West that we have to show up with mastery. And that is, cause it goes to our detriment a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Because acknowledging that you know, if you don't have the result that you want, you don't know. So get curious. Love if that. you're finding yourself triggered all the time, get curious about your experience. If you are feeling like you are having not having uh, success in relationships, get curious about yourself. Like get curious in ways instead of the, I know, I know, I know. No, you don't. Get curious. Yeah. So that's what I would say. Micro steps and get curious. I think that's an excellent first step. Awesome. Thank you so much. So I know that you have written an ebook that you are giving away for free for people. Yes, for the I yes. am. So tell us about that. Um, yeah, it's just a little ebook. You can find it on my website. Uh, it's called the Holiday Survival Guide. It's like forty pages, but it's just about you know some typical mindset shifts that you can employ. Um, for the holidays, you know, about like just old programming, like why the hell we feel like December gives us the feeling of toppling down an escalator or, you know, like how not to gain holiday weight. So that's available at ebook.getthefuckoff.com. And uh, I'm also given a free class on Tuesday, oh. November 29th at 7 p.m. And you can register for that. 7 p.m. Eastern. Eastern. 7 p.m. Eastern. And there is a link on my Instagram that you can uh, register for that. And I'm also going to put a link on my website as well. Okay. And Andy has a podcast called Get the Fuck Off. The Get the Fuck Off podcast. Get the Fuck Off podcast. And it's, and I'm saying it slow like that. So they, if, you know, if they, they know that's how to write it. it because it's also your URL, it's also your website. Getthefuckoff.com, yes. right? Yes, yeah. correct. So you, you all can find me at getthefuckoff.com. That is, it's not a porn site, um, but it was, that was my initial, um, my initial uh, branding was for it to look like a porn site, uh, but now just the logo looks like Pornhub, not the entire site. And the reason why, I have a real reason for this. Okay, Christian. tell us why. The reason, the reason why was because I am like given Lotus information for non-Lotus people. Like I was a barstool ornament. I was a badass bitch. And I did not want anyone to, to I didn't want to, 
lose my personality when I started to make change in my life. And I was afraid that I had to. And I was very turned off by people who were always woo-woo, you know, sitting and eating flax seeds. And I thought that they were holier than thou. So I was like, you know what? Let's let's just make this digestible. Yeah. So that is why I started getthefuckoff.com. And it is a hundred percent a wellness place. Like it, it yes. is for you to elevate to the highest version of yourself, but with a little bit of language, that's going to make you feel like it's okay if you're showing up imperfect. And so that is why. And um, getthefuckoff.com is where you can find me. Getthefuckoff.com slash podcast is my podcast. And it's also on Apple, Spotify, the get the fuck off podcast with a little asterisk instead and of you have your important. your social icons on your website or what is your instagram i don't have my social icons on my website but you can find me at andy scarantino on instagram okay and all the all this information will be in the show description as well but i have to say as before we hang up is that uh part of me entering this journey too i think there's a part where we're like i have all of this amazing information and truth and it that can really help you know, capital T truth is what I call like of the ultimate that can really help people shift. And there's this part of me, I cuss. Kristen Brown cusses. Kristen Brown has a dirty sense of humor. Kristen Brown is a real person. And I did for like five minutes think that I'm like, can I, you know, be this? And I was like, yes, you can be this because we want to be, the whole point is to return to our whole self and to not temper those parts of us that we think are not going to be accepted because if someone doesn't like that, I say the F word or the S word sometimes on things or assholery or whatever I say, then they may, they're not my people and that's okay. Get the fuck off. Get the fuck off. Get, <laughs> Get out. The fuck off. Get out. Exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh, Andy, it has been my absolute pleasure to have you here today. And I'm so grateful you came here. And I really hope that anybody is listening that you want to follow Andy. She is as joyful to follow and to listen to, I know her podcast is absolutely astounding. You will, you will get humor mixed with knowledge, mixed with wisdom, mixed with tough love, mixed with gentle love, mixed with all the things that you need, like in a very palpable human way, rather than this way that is, you have to spend hours afterwards trying to discern what the person was talking about. It's like, this is real life stuff that reaches the core of a human being. Am I wrong, Andy? Uh, you, th that was so beautiful. Like, thank you for those beautiful words. Um, I, I appreciate you so much, Kristen. Thank you for having me on the show. This has been just delightful. And the pleasure is definitely all mine.